0: 5,
1: 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome to Out of Left Field with Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. For the next hour, it's all college football.
2: And it's brought to you by Farm Bureau, Go With the Home Team, Country
1: Police and Sausage, and Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a cannon deal. Nobody. And now. Here are your hosts, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And hey, welcome to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. Bulldogs losing this past weekend 21-14. to 14. Well, Charlie, this weekend wasn't nearly as fun. It's amazing. You know, two weeks ago, we didn't know what to expect going to the defending national champions. Then you feel really good, now all of a sudden you get knocked back a little bit, and Kind of teaches you the old adage of just trying to keep everything in an even keel as a sports fan and not let the volatility drive you crazy.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Now, the good news is we've started to get to the end of the week, and now I'm starting to put Arkansas behind me a little bit and look forward to Kentucky and look forward to playing a team that's dangerous in many ways because they can run the ball effectively. They have a quarterback who can do a lot of things. But on the bright side, they haven't defended the pass very well. And so for a passing offense that needs to get back in business, maybe the prescription you needed.
1: Kentucky last in the nation in pass efficiency defense. Now that's what happens early in the season when all the stats are skewed and Ole Miss was able to throw the football effectively this past weekend. The thing that they did against Auburn was kind of surprising. I thought they would go to Auburn and really give the Tigers more of a test, but Bo Nix – really threw the ball well. And you don't think of Bo Nix being a big-time passing quarterback, but he had some success. Before we start talking about Kentucky, let's look back at last week and try to shake the cobwebs from that three defensive lineman and and eight (laughs) dropping eight into pass coverage that Arkansas was able to have some success. So looking forward, everybody's talking about the three-down lineman and the eight-man eight, eight man zone of Arkansas and how that gives the blueprint. You know, Mike Leach came out on Monday, and he said, hey, let me tell you, if the secret was eight guys in a zone, we'd have been out of business 20 years ago. So at the end of the day, this is something that the coaching staff has seen, but the players before Saturday really hadn't seen a whole lot of. No, they hadn't. But let's think about basketball
0: for a minute. Syracuse known for playing that zone defense that was so good. You know, it was a lot better when Syracuse played it than when other people tried to do it. Some teams are just built for it. Some teams are experienced with it. Not everybody can pick it up and just run with it. The second thing is a zone defense is not without its holes. There are opportunities to complete the pass against the zone. If, if it didn't have holes, everybody would be running it, right? There's a yeah. reason that LSU and a lot of other very successful teams and why most teams in the SEC – recruit guys to play a man defense it was different that's the thing it's not invincible and if you go back and look Mississippi State had some opportunities just maybe a little bit late on the throw just having a receiver maybe getting a little bit out of a window but there are plenty of opportunities so not certain that the struggles that we had this week will necessarily replicate themselves going forward.
1: Our good friend Matt Wyatt does a great job on YouTube each and every week of going through a film study, and he had a really good film study this past week about the success of throwing the football against dropping eight in coverage. And I think one of the things that really stood out by just watching, rewatching the game itself, it just seemed like the timing wasn't there because it's a completely different game. Throwing against a man, throwing against a zone – Zone is a lot of timing. It's all about when a guy is going to cross in a window. And a lot of times when you throw that football, Charlie, the guy's not open yet. And that's the whole key. You have to anticipate. And with a quarterback, you have to go back to the point. I'm not making excuses, but this is still his first year, second game in this offense. It's a little bit different in leading a receiver in a man-to-man than finding an open spot and knowing that's where he's supposed to be.
0: Yeah, it takes a lot of repetition. It takes a lot of trust in your receiver to run the route that he's supposed to and be where he's supposed to be, and it's one of those things, as you say, it's just timing, and part of the timing is the experience of doing it on the field. Part of the timing is trusting yourself to make the throw when you know you need to make it and not later And it's difficult to have that trust when you start to throw a few interceptions. It gets harder and harder to complete those passes.
1: I thought that was one of the big things early in the game was Arkansas having the pick six. You talk about emotional roller coasters. That's one way to get yourself up and ready to go when you get a defensive Touchdown! Looking at the stats of the game, I mean, the stats just jump out at you and say, man, you know, this is a game that Mississippi State probably won. If you take a look away from the turnovers, we did a pretty good job of throwing the football. Didn't do a terrible job at running the football as well. The thing that stood out to me, Charlie, was third down conversions. The week before, we were so good against LSU of staying on the field. This game, we couldn't stay on the field. What was so crazy is we were 2-for-8, 2-for-8, and third down and less than four. That's a stat that's kind of crazy to look at.
0: It is, and so a lot of times you would look at that and say, hey, we need to run the football more. But a lot of those plays where you failed to convert were running plays. They made the effort to run the football, just weren't successful. Not, not all of them, but certainly some of them were. We did see Mississippi State convert a couple of times running the football. But you're right, if you go back and you pull the stat sheet and you white out the turnover column, you would think that Mississippi State won the game. The other thing, going back to that pick six, I remember having the thought that in a very strange way that had the opportunity to work to Arkansas' detriment because I thought their defense based on the Georgia game would wear down. I thought that they wouldn't have the stamina to go the full game. And what the, the result of that pick six, obviously it put points on the board for Arkansas, which was good for them. But their defense was on the field 14 minutes in that first quarter of play. And when I go back and look, you really got to tip your hat to those guys because they played a lot. They played a lot early, and they kept playing well.
1: If you're looking for positives, well, the future looks bright. Dylan Johnson, phenomenal as a freshman Jacquavius Marks, once again, leaving his mark on the offense. But you had a lot of freshmen in there making plays, not only in the rushing game, but in the passing game as well.
0: Well, Dylan Johnson looked really good, didn't he? He looked comfortable. Yeah, That was the thing is so many times you see young running backs come in and they're impatient. They try to get up the field too fast. They don't cut off blocks. They don't let things develop. Everything about him looked
1: good. How big was losing Callan Hill?
0: Well, it's, it's huge because – Ultimately, I think one of the things that Mississippi State did not do enough, and this will go against everything we hear when we hear people comment on the NFL and Dak Prescott, make fun of him for checking down too much. I thought Mississippi State needed to check down a little bit more and to do it a little quicker. If you've got Kylan Hill, it feels a lot
1: less like a check down when you're putting it out in the flat, more like a, a big play. You kind of ask yourself that question, because what did Mike Leach say after the game? I thought that – you know, KJ wanted to go down the field a little bit too much. he didn't want to be as patient. Do you think that may have played into the mind a little bit of KJ Costello of hey, I don't have that safety valve in Kylan Hill. I may need to do a little bit more extra down the field. Well, you think
0: it has to it It absolutely would have to because all season long in the off season when these guys have been getting together as best they could, I mean Colin Hill's the guy you've got in mind dumping it off to. And there has to be a big difference in dumping it off to him to dropping it off to somebody who, candidly, hadn't seen that much time on the field.
1: The good thing is, Collin Hill – should play in a game on Saturday, which is a very good thing because State's going to need him on the road at Kentucky. So the Bulldogs and the Wildcats, a 6.30 start Saturday night at Kroger Field. I'm Bart Gregory along with Charlie Winfield. We're brought to you by and presented by Farm Bureau. Go with a home team. Farm Bureau has agents in every county in the state of Mississippi, and they're great customer service. So if you don't have Farm Bureau – As your insurance provider right now, call, get a quote, and they have great customer service, and they'll take care of you without doubt. We'll we'll come back, and we'll take a look at the five big keys and the five big plays from last week's game against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Later in the show, we'll talk to Dave Neal of the SEC Network and ESPN. He'll talk about how the, the broadcast is going here early in the year, and then we'll preview the Kentucky Wildcats at Mississippi State later in the show you're listening to out of left field presented by farm bureau and welcome back to out of left field presented by farm bureau i'm Bart gregory along with charlie winfield it's time now for the five big plays brought to you each week by our friends at Cannon ford of startwell Cannon ford the place to go. I was just there yesterday. They do a great job in the body shop, the service. I was getting my oil changed yesterday. Guys always have a great, friendly face, and I trust them. That's the big thing is I trust the guys at Cannon Ford. They're not looking to, to do just a little bit to try to get you back, to spend some more money with them. Newer used cars, Chris Keen and the gang, they have a great sales team and people, once again, that you can trust in the car business. That's a Canon Ford in Starkville. All right, Charlie, it's time now for our five big things brought to you by Canon Ford. What was number one for you in the five big plays from this past Saturday?
0: Yeah, and again, just to set the premise here, we try to pick plays that aren't scoring plays, that aren't turnovers, that are not things that might have initially been noticed at least in some instances. So, in that spirit, five big plays that had a big factor in the outcome of the game that may not be remembered. And the first is on the first Mississippi State drive of the game, Kylan Hill's rush for seven yards where we had the review and Kylan Hill got hurt. And you're going to say to me, Charlie, everybody knows Kylan Hill got hurt and that's a big play in the ballgame, but I've got a little different thought on that play. And that is that play was reviewed – to determine whether Kylan Hill had fumbled the football. Three plays later, after it was ruled no fumble, actually it was not ruled that it was not a fumble, the ruling on the field was no fumble, and the decision was the call stands. I think it was one of those where had it been ruled a fumble, it would have stood, and vice versa. Had that play been ruled a fumble, Arkansas is getting the ball around midfield in a no-score ball game. Three plays later, we throw the pick six. How much better off are you in a strange world if Kylan <laughs> Hill had fumbled the football?
1: You know, that is a good point because, like you said, three plays later, and that uh, that fumble occurred, you know, we, we were driving the football well, had some success early in the game of running the football, throwing the football, and then, you know, K.J. was, we were at the 48-yard line. He rushed it down to the 41. And so Arkansas would have first and 10 from they're on 41. Here's the thing. You don't know what they would have done. They may have come out in their scripted plays and driven down the field and scored the touchdown. But it just seems to me, and I go back to the point, Charlie, about what kind of positivity and confidence it gives to your defense to have a defensive touchdown. And what that does, not only to your defense but to your offense as well, it was almost like the perfect storm for Arkansas to get that high volatile play to score that touchdown touchdown yeah, I agree with that. That that is a big that's that's kind of interesting thinking though that we were have been better off had it been a fumble. What's number 2?
0: The second is Mississippi State's ensuing drive. So, obviously with having lost the game, a lot of our big plays are going to be negative, but I've got a couple of positives for you, although we'll see this turn. On the second drive, the big play for me, the 3rd and 2 at the Arkansas 18, Jaquavius Marks rushed it for 6 yards to the Arkansas 12, picked up the first down. Picked up the first down on the ground on third and two. Here's what's interesting about that drive. A fourth and three play, Dylan Johnson carried for the first down, six-yard carry. On a fourth and two play, Dylan Johnson rushed it for nine yards, picked up the first down. And then with Marks, you go back-to-back carries on second and seven and third and two. A couple of things. Number one, we heard a lot of people saying you have to run the football, you have to run the football. Four times on that drive, Mississippi State did run the football. The big play that set up the touchdown, I'm giving credit, although I think they all matter, the six-yard carry to the 18. Now, let's look ahead. It's not as if Arkansas is not able to adjust and to change. We'll see that later. So, big play in a couple of ways. Number one, it set up the touchdown. Number two, it told Arkansas, and this will come back to haunt us, hey, third and short, fourth and short. Mississippi State, despite their reputation, is going to run the football.
1: Yeah, at one time in a the span there, ran it three out of four plays leading up to that uh, touchdown to Javante Payton that tied the game at seven. Okay, what's number three?
0: Number three, let let's Mississippi State has the ball. It's a 7-7 game. We've got 2.58 to go in the first quarter. The Bulldogs had taken over at their 18. They had moved it out to the 45-yard line got a carry from Marks for five yards so you got second and five you're at the Arkansas 40 KJ Costello drops to throw he's flushed from the pocket and originally it was ruled a sack it was going to be a loss of 11 they go to the video review and they decide that he wasn't sacked but they called intentional grounding on a ball that skipped into a receiver I don't understand that call in the least, but it takes you from being second and five in plus territory at the Arkansas 40 to all of a sudden being third and 16 back at your 49. And as much as we're tired of hearing about Arkansas dropping in coverage, you can't get behind the sticks in attacking that type of defense. That was a huge play and a huge penalty call.
1: Should have been third and five from the 40. Instead, it's third and 16 from our 49. And like you said, Charlie, Garrett Schrader was standing there to take the short hop on that play. And we had some confidence. We had some momentum. We had just hit Osiris Mitchell for 34 yards. We had something working, scored on that drive to to tie the game at seven. It looked like we were putting things together, like you said, bringing it from our own 18 out to midfield. But all of a sudden, then you face third down and 16. You end up having to punt on that drive, and so it kind of takes away a lot of momentum. That was a momentum shifter for me in the first half. What's number four?
0: Let's go ahead and get to the fourth quarter. It's a 21-14 game, kind of foreshadowed this a little bit. Mississippi State took over after a fumble at the Arkansas 21. And on first down, Dylan Johnson carries for a yard. On second down, Mississippi State goes complete for seven yards, gets it to the 13. It's third and two at the Arkansas 13. Everybody remembers the fourth down play. K.J. Costello throwing incomplete to Cameron Gardner, pass out to the left. But the third down play, to me, is the big story in that sequence. Dylan Johnson got the carry. We had been converting in those opportunities, but instead stopped for no gain, and that set up the fourth down play. And really, to me, you could just see Mississippi State tighten up right there.
1: Had the big runs before, but we go back to the point. Two of eight on third downs in third and less than four. Let me ask this question with the offensive line the way that we are, with the splits that we have in our offensive line. And you start talking about running the football. If you walk up and say you have splits that are two and a half, three feet wide on every play, and then all of a sudden the linemen come up and they've got a foot and a half split, that's screaming to the defense, hey, we're running the football. So you really can't do that. How tough is it to block out of this game when you need to get three yards on a run?
0: Well, I think it can be really tough, particularly if you're trying to run the football up the middle and because you just never know who's going to be stunning. You don't know who's going to be in the gaps. And, again, you've got offensive linemen playing a new scheme as well. What's number five? Number five, Mississippi State got the football back, 7.32 to go and they have it after a Jaden Wally punt return at the Arkansas 30. They've moved the football now to the Arkansas 12. They throw incomplete on second and seven, the big play, the third down and seven play at the Arkansas 12. K.J. Costello runs the football for five yards officially to get it to the Arkansas 7 you know, there's a lot of commentary, you gotta lower your head, gotta push through. I thought the thing that really jumped out was I thought he got a terrible spot. And that then really hurts you on your fourth down play. We run the football for a loss of two yards, don't pick up the first down, turn it over on downs yet again. I thought the spot was particularly bad on that third down play, second down and a yard, second down and half a yard, much different creature than fourth down and two.
1: You know, I understand the the line of thinking by spotting the football from a standpoint of if you are going into a slide, they say it's wherever you begin to give yourself up to start the slide. That was more of a sideways dive getting to where he was, and it was not more of a slide. So. Long story short, it's almost where you go down with your knee. I thought his knee went down and right on top of the first down mark. And like you said, it's fourth down and two. Arkansas knows what you're probably about to do. After you throw the incomplete the first time, you're probably going to come back with a run and Arkansas able to sniff it out. Yeah, I thought that spot was really, really big late in that ball game. And that's our five keys brought to you by our friends at Canon Ford of Starkville. We'll come back and talk to Dave Neal of the SEC Network and ESPN right after this on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our guest line segment brought to you each week by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. You know, Country Pleasing made right here in the state of Mississippi, down on Highway 49 in Florence. You know, you, you really don't want to get into what they put into sausage on a lot of people, especially hot dogs. But anyway, at Country Pleasing, it's the ham, it's the port loin. They put the bacon in there, so it's lean meat. So what it means is it's a meteor sausage. It's great. It's great stuff. Pick it up at your local grocer. If they don't have it at your local grocer, go to countrypleasing.com, and they'll ship it to you. And once again, Country Pleasing, bringing you our guest line segment. And let's go to the phone where Dave Neal joins us of the SEC Network and ESPN, longtime friend, Dave, I tell you what, uh, first of all, appreciate you joining us. And, hey, what's what's the early observations of broadcasting during this time? I mean, you're doing a lot of broadcasts via Zoom right now, and uh, a lot of stadiums are, are half empty and going to stadiums that are half empty. It's a little bit better than a spring game, but, man, what's the thought process right now broadcasting here early in the football season during this pandemic?
2: Well, uh, first, thanks for having me on. Um, it's it, it, uh, it's great that we're talking football as opposed to the old what-if scenario. I guess that's still out there always. But, uh, you know, it is, Bart, it's really weird. Uh, this is be my fifth game coming up this weekend. And uh, the prior four have been somewhat different in every aspect of the production. Um, I started with a game at Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and that was surreal with an empty stadium and um, uh, just, a, just a really kind of I guess awkward beginning to my season, just compared to what I'm used to. And then you know, you go. I go to Murfreesboro, Middle Tennessee, the next week, and there's a crowd there, but it's not very much of a crowd. So, and they're not, you know, it's not a big stadium anyway. Then week one, we go to Arkansas, and you see, you know, Georgia, and they let more people in, and it was actually kind of a nice, you know, getting back to SEC football was great, and it was a decent game until halftime. And then last week, I had to do it from my house. So you throw another curveball in there, looking at monitors and all this stuff. Um, it is not what I'm used to after 20-something years of calling SEC football, but it is. I don't want to say the new normal because that's uh, hopefully not going to be the case, but it's uh, it's what we're doing right now, and hopefully we can get back to the stadiums when all this stuff gets figured out. But boy, it is it has definitely been a been a culture shock to say the least.
1: Yeah, Dave, along those lines, I was listening to the, the Yankees and the Rays last night, and they were broadcasting the game, the, the Rays broadcast from, from Tampa. I mean, is it a situation? What's your setup? I mean, how many different camera angles do you have to call the game? Because I couldn't imagine just sitting there trying to watch a TV screen because there's so much in a game of football that's going on outside of the lens.
2: Well, it, it is. They it came – ESPN sends an engineer with a bunch of gear to your house, uh, monitors, uh, headphones, and the little box that we use to be able to talk to producers and other people on the crew directly to them while the game's going on. It doesn't really go out over the air. Um, you know. And So I have like two monitors. One of them is like what you see at home. Another one has what they call the All-22, which encompasses most of the field. So you can see all 22 players on the field. Uh then I have a bunch of computer screens. One of them is, is a Zoom with just my partner, uh, DJ Shockley at his house, so that we could actually see each other if we needed to communicate somehow visually. We could see what each other's doing. Um, but it's hard to like look at that during a game when there's the game going on. Then you have a monitor that has my spotter, who is at the game actually, believe it or not. This is so unbelievable that I've tried to explain this. The spotter's at the game, but I'm not. Uh, And he's got a Zoom call set up with a camera looking at his spotting board, and I've got a computer screen with with what he's looking at so he can point and I can see it. Then I have another monitor, uh, computer screen that has my stat, my statistician guy who's at his house doing stats. um, And that's kind of – that's over a different kind of app, but it's in real time. Uh, So, yeah, there's a lot to look at. That uh, It's hard to keep your eyes focused on one thing. And, boy, I'm going to tell you something, if your Internet goes out, we got all kinds of problems going on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dave, we saw a little bit of this in coverage for the Olympics. We've seen it in soccer with guys doing games remotely and able to do more games at a time. I'm curious, do you worry at all that this is where sports broadcasting is headed, that all of a sudden they decide it's cheaper to have somebody sitting at home than it is to travel them?
2: Uh yeah, it's a you know, it's a it's a concern. Um You know, a a part of me says that, you know, hopefully those in charge understand that football is, you know, we can, you you know, we're getting away with it. I would say that we're getting away with it right now, being at home, um, because I think people understand that it's not going to be perfect. We don't live in this perfect environment anymore. Right. It's 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 different. But at some point, this is going to get back to normal. Our lives are whether it's next month, next year, at some point it will be. And I think that to do football the right way, to broadcast football the right way, especially big games that draw millions of people watching them, and that encompasses most of the SEC games, that you got to be out there. You miss a lot of stuff by not being out there. I'll tell you the the things that I miss, just from my point of view, is the fact that I don't get to sit there and spend face-to-face time with a sports information director an hour, hour or two before the game and get last-minute updates and details. I miss going down on the field, talking to our head referee before the game as he's doing his survey of the field with his crew and meeting a couple of those guys and get to know them and tell their stories. Also getting to spend time with the head coaches. And it may only be five minutes or ten minutes on the field when they're kind of – they're done. They're on the field. Their team's warming up. They're done. There's nothing else they could do. Sometimes we get the best information all week. In those five or 10 minutes with those coaches down on the field before, you know, while the team's coming out doing their stretches and stuff, because they're a little bit more relaxed. There's nothing else they, like I said, there's nothing else they can do. It's time to kick it off. And sometimes they tell you, hey, man, we're going to run our 2nd string quarterback in there and run these jet sweep type things in the second series. So watch out for that. Stuff that's great to know. So those are the things that I truly miss. Um, and also the interactions on Fridays with coaches, you know, whether it's a visiting team at their hotel or meeting the home team at their football offices and stuff. Zoom is definitely sufficient, but it's not the same. I think anybody that that has been involved in these Zoom calls and it is easier, but it's not the same. So yeah, Charlie, I am worried. Uh, it may be what it is. The good news for me is, in basketball, I'm gone five six days a week with so many basketball games going on. So if they wanted me to stay home and, and not travel, worse things could happen. I guess. <laughs>
1: We're talking to Dave Neal, the SEC Network and ESPN. And, Dave, along those lines, you were talking about the Zoom calls on Thursdays. You know, you guys used to come in on Fridays and meet with the head coaches. And like you said, the preparation, the preparation of getting ready – for a game, you know, for us, we we pretty much get through game three and we know one of the teams and the other one we're preparing for the visiting team. You're preparing pretty much for both teams, new teams each week. How tough is it to kind of pop around and go from game to game in the league when you really don't get a chance to see that one team that much? How tough is that?
2: Well, you just got to know. I, I think it comes with experience. You got to know the important things. The storylines, uh, the key players, uh, and obviously, in bar, you know, both of you guys know this. I mean, the, the, the media relations departments, especially in the SEC, provide so much information. So it's just a matter of whittling through that information. I've always said, give me all you got and I'll figure out what I need. Right. That's kind of my message to all the people in, in that part of the sports information world. But, um, you know, I'll never know. I will never, ever know as much as the Mississippi State Bulldog fan, right? Like the person that's there living, dying, breathing it every day. Because I've got other things going on that, that can't be my team. As much as folks want me to make it their team, I, I can't do that. But so, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I just got to make sure that I know the key elements, the key storylines, that, that I, I tell them something, maybe find a few things during the week that they don't know. And the other aspect is the one thing that we have in television, because there is so much information available anywhere you look, whether it's, you know, the the social media or just anywhere online, Google, whatever you want to Google. The one thing that we have the opportunity to get, and that is conversations face to face with coaches the day before or day of a game to get information that there is that they can't get anywhere else. So you try to incorporate as much of that as you possibly can. Uh, to bring a little different angle element to the game that we're broadcasting that week. So that the guy from Mississippi State or the guy from Alabama, if we're doing an Alabama game, it's just something different because they know the general storyline. And the other aspect of that is you also got to remember that if there's a million people watching, there's probably a half a million people that don't know anything about Alabama. So you do got to keep that in balance with what are you repeating, what is boring versus – You know, there's an audience out there that doesn't follow college football every day, and they turn it on on Saturday morning just to watch that game that day. So there's a fine line, and you just kind of got a trial and error, I guess, you know, is the best way to say it. And over time, you hope you figure out the right recipe.
0: You know, there are a few people not wearing a whistle who have seen more film than you have of SEC football over the past couple of decades. You have a unique perspective, I think, of kind of the level of play in the league. I'm curious, there was a lot of talk with the pandemic and that type thing that tackling wouldn't be as good, that the level of play wouldn't be as good. What's your observation now a couple of weeks in as to what level of football we're seeing?
2: I will say this. You you brought up tackling, and that comes to mind first. And like I said, this weekend will be my fifth weekend. So I've already seen four games. And some teams had played one game. It was their opener. Some teams had already played a couple of games. And obviously, two weekends ago, it was the first game for the SEC. But the, and talking to all these coaches, the one thing that is the, the reoccurring theme is they expected tackling to be a nightmare. Now, the games I've done, I haven't seen them all. But the games that I've done, I've been impressed with that. I've seen some really outstanding guys. Now, there are always going to be a missed tackle here and there. But for the most part, I don't know what it is because these coaches said that you know some of these teams only had eleven, twelve, thirteen practices to where they actually had you know half their team out there, so they can't afford to lose any more. So they're they haven't hit as much as they would. Some of these scrimmages got canceled where they finally let them go full steam ahead. But I've been pleasantly surprised with that for the games that I have seen, and I think the coaches I've talked to have all said that that is maybe not perfect, but it's better than what they anticipated. Uh, the, the other thing that I've noticed is um, it's it's kind of crazy. I the pass game has been better than I anticipated, while the run game hasn't been as good. You would think the run game, right, would be you could really work on that the power game, but that's not what we play anymore. So to me, the run game and an overall picture hasn't been nearly as good as the pass game. And that's not saying the pass game's great. I just think it's better than what we all thought or expected it would be. So it's been very bizarre in that regard, and we'll see how this thing plays out week in, week out. And I know, you know, Mississippi State had, you know, their their nightmare after the LSU game last weekend, and I'm anxious to see how those guys can adjust their pass game and add some run game you know, as we go on and move forward, because listen, the coaches in this league are, are, are great. I mean, they, they are, they, they figure this stuff out in a hurry and how do you adjust and how do you adapt? That's the cat and mouse game every week.
1: So we'll
2: see how it plays out. But those are kind of my, my observations early on.
1: Tell you what bumper pool did a heck of a job tackling last week. I know that for a fact. <laughs> so, job. What do you 20, 20 <laughs> like, or something? Yeah. Like yeah. Like 20. And, and going back to what you said about Mississippi state, Dave, and looking back at the, at, you know, big games, big moments. The things we think of, of course, Jack Crystal, Jim Ellis, and guys that have broadcast for so long here, but you've had some big calls in Mississippi State history as well. Are there any moments that really stand out to you? I mean, I think about that 07 game with Derek Pegues. I think about the McNamee home runs. Is there anything that really stands out to you about big plays in Mississippi State history that you've been a part of?
2: Well, I, I'll tell you this. This is how far back I go. This is my first job in as a When I got out of college, I went to Florida State, for those who don't know, and I got out and I was working uh, as a sports reporter at the ABC station in Tallahassee, Florida. And this would have been, I guess, uh, I, I, 89. So it would have been the 1990 baseball season. I followed Florida State in 1990 to the regionals. This is when they had the six-team regionals and there was no supers. To Starkville, Mississippi. Never been. I came up to follow. And the FSU was really, really good that year, but they were playing at- at uh, duty noble and there was a bunch of rain delays in florida state and mississippi state are on a collision course and they end up after a couple of days of rain and me sitting at the uh, i don't know those in starkville know where that chick-fil-a is there used to be i think it was a university inn or something over there a little shopping plaza over there by the yep. chick-fil-a anyway that i woke up one morning this is just a sidebar i woke up one morning and this is no joke i had paint chips all over my covers in my room they had this <laughs> With. <laughs> oh, it was, just, it was a beautiful weekend because it, it was just beautiful. Uh, anyway, so we get there to Monday and uh, FSU and Mississippi State going at it. And Burke Masters hit a, and Mississippi State was the visiting team, hit a Grand Slam home run yep. in the top of the ninth inning to give that, they were down, I think, down three. And he hit the Grand Slam to give the Bulldogs the win. And even though I'm an FSU guy and that was my team and I was there to cover them, I gotta tell you something. The, the the juice in at that stadium that day, it's still with me. That was in nineteen ninety. What a moment that was um with that team. I think Burke's like a minister somewhere, if I'm not mistaken. Uh he's uh, a
1: priest, yeah. He's a priest yeah. in, in Joliet, Illinois. He he's the uh he's the team uh, he's the team priest for the Chicago Cubs. I'll beat dog. How Sir? about that? Okay, so uh, hey, you mentioned that Dave real quick before we go. Yeah. The difference in that moment. Compared to McNamie hitting the home run, you oh, were there for that yeah. one as well. What was? <laughs> are there any similarities between the two? Uh,
2: it's so many. Um, you know, McNamie's wasn't a game winner. It was the moment. It was you know, big hit Mac one last time in front of the home folks in the new stadium, and it, it's a super. And the supers are so different now. I mean, I love it. I think the supers have been the greatest thing. NCA for all their bashing that we can give, is that we can just uh, lay upon them. The super regional concept has been one of their great decisions over the last 20 years. But anyway, I just think that the Mac thing was a different excitement. But I tell you what, that gave me goosebumps. I mean, that literally gave me goosebumps. And first of all, I love that kid. I got to know him so well over the course of two years. I covered the regional at uh, Florida State the year before when he hit the big shot there as well. You know, and over time you get to know them, and I start thinking about all these Mississippi State things I've been involved with. Starts to add up, doesn't <laughs> it? But uh, I tell you, I, I don't know. I almost have to lean to the big hit, match. Just because, I don't know. Maybe it's more recent, but they were both at the top of my list in terms of uh, exciting moments for sure. Well, you've got
0: a couple of Emmys. You don't need me to tell you this, but you know, I've always said the real sign of a pro broadcaster is knowing when not to say anything. You think of the Al Michaels. Uh, call in the 80 Olympics, right? Do you believe in miracles? Yes. Right. And then everybody shuts up. Bart Gregory tweeted right after the back to me home run, what a pro job you did because you let the scene play itself. As you deal with young broadcasters, how difficult do you see it to be to get guys to understand that sometimes the moment's big enough without you adding to it?
2: You know that's a great uh, question. For those who are ever interested, I, and listen, it's it, it's a learning process. You, with social media and the Twitter and the Instagram highlights get distributed in a hurry, and every announcer wants to be attached to a highlight, right? With the great line or the great call or this and that, and what happens is in the in the process of trying to be that highlight, be a part of that highlight, you end up messing up the highlight. So if anybody wants to be an announcer out there, I've always believed And listen, I've screwed up many highlights because I talk too much. It's just the thing you learn, but it's better just to leave it alone. Right. Especially when there's a crowd and an atmosphere. And I know it's tough now in these football games because there isn't much of that, but you got to let it breathe, man. The, 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 the pictures of people's faces and the excitement and the crowd noise that tells a story better than anything that you can tell at that moment. So you need to set the stage give it. It's just due, and then get out of the way. Um, I always say this don't ruin the highlight because it's called a highlight already. Don't ruin it. So that's kind of been my motto and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know what I mean? You just don't know. And I think that's the, that's the game. Every announcer always plays when is enough. And, and you know, how how much do you give it? So that's kind of my thought on it. And, um, I appreciate Bart saying that. And, um, yeah, I think I was just uh, just enjoying and soaking up the moment like the other 12,000 people were that particular day at, 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 at Duty Noble.
1: Dave, we appreciate you. We'll let you get back to getting ready yeah, for man. Caroline and Vanderbilt, man. It's always great to talk with you, and hopefully we'll see you down the road in the next yeah. couple of weeks.
2: I hope so too, man. Always a pleasure with you boys, and I can't wait to get over to Starkville. You guys have a great weekend.
1: Appreciate you, Dave. Man, that's Dave Neal of ESPN and the SEC Network. Appreciate Dave. It's always great to talk to Dave. One of the great guys in college broadcasting and in college sports. And once again, it's a guest line brought to you by our good friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. And we'll come back and have a final word right here on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Yeah, welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield trying to get you ready for Mississippi State and the Kentucky Wildcats. A 6.30 start Saturday night up in Lexington. Game will be on the SEC network. Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, Cole Kubelik. Of course, we'd l- invite you to listen to Neil Price, Matt White, and Jay Perry on the Sync My Game app. SyncmyGame.com. We talked about that in the pregame show. Charlie and I'll have the pregame show for you starting at 4.30 on Saturday. So, Charlie, let's look at Kentucky. Last year, Terry Wilson knocked out early in the season a torn patellar tendon. He's back. And while we ask the question, while a lot of our fans ask the question, why don't you run the football more? Right now, Kentucky is getting asked the question of Mark Stoops, who's in his eighth year now. Why aren't you throwing the football more? Terry Wilson Completed 14 of 18 passes last week against Ole Miss. I don't think offense was a problem, especially when you run for over 400 yards.
0: Yeah, who wants to throw the football when you're rushing it for 408 yards on 56 carries and get six touchdowns? I mean, when you're playing Ole Miss and you can hand it off straight up the middle and get yards, you keep doing it. You throw it when you have to. And when Kentucky did throw the football in that ball game, they were protective, they were careful, they threw high-percentage passes, but it was enough to make a difference. And you talk about Terry Wilson, a guy who was having a really good start to last year, hurts his knee and is out, and you see Kentucky have to go to a different approach where all they did was run the football. Wilson is a true dual-threat quarterback, and if you're a Mississippi State fan and want something to be a little bit nervous about, you know this is a guy who rushed it last week for 129 yards on 22 carries in addition to completing 14 of 18 passes So, I think it's going to be a different test for Mississippi State. You go back and you look at Felipe Franks, who ran it when he had to. You look at Miles Brennan, who didn't run it much at all. Wilson's going to be a guy who's going to put some pressure on your defense.
1: Kentucky will be without one of their running backs, Cavassier Smoke, who rushed five times last week against Ole Miss. He broke some ribs. He's out for the next couple of weeks. But Asim Rose, Terry Wilson, Chris Rodriguez, they've been so good for Kentucky running the football. Rose kind of had the brain freeze last week early in the game, breaks out that long run on his one of the first runs, the first drive, gets it down inside the 10. He thinks he's got a touchdown. He gets tackled inside the five-yard line, and Kentucky ends up turning the ball over, gave away some points right there. But, but running the ball with that dual thread, That's where it's going to be a completely different look for State this week because you didn't have to worry about any kind of rushing threat from a quarterback in the first game against Miles Brennan. Last week you worried about it some, but they didn't have the breakaway speed. Franks did not have the breakaway speed of Terry Wilson. So, yeah, that's going to be a, a big, big test for Zach Arnett and his defense. And, hey, before we go any further, we've gotten to this part of the show. Zach Arnett, yeah, we had some busted coverages last week a couple of times on some touchdowns, but at the end of the day, i tell you what, our defense has played well most of the season.
0: We said when this season started that Zach Arnett didn't have a full deck of cards to play with in the sense that, you know, he was going to be down some guys. He just wasn't talent-wise where this defense has been the past few years. But you wouldn't know it from the way they have played. I think he's called an outstanding game. And look, you're putting a lot of young guys back there. You're going to bust some coverages, particularly early in the year. But even with that, you saw Mississippi State's defense in that second half last time out, forcing three and outs time after time.
1: So much in that style of offense, so much pressure is put on your defensive ends. and So much pressure is put on your outside linebackers to make sure you keep angles. So far, Mississippi State has been very good on the outside with its linebackers in the run game. And it's ends as well. When you start talking about Marquis Spencer and you've got some linebackers in the middle who have been good as well as Errol Thompson. So those guys, that front seven, that's those are the those are the guys that are going to really be put to the test this week.
0: Absolutely, because I don't think Kentucky is going to be very likely to wind up and throw it way down the field. I think the challenge is going to be for Mississippi State, can you contain the quarterback, keep him in the pocket, get to him, cause pressure, and not allow him to get out of there and run the football on you.
1: Conversely, Kentucky's defense, they returned just about every starter from last year. Everybody thought this was going to be the year of the Kentucky defense. And what's crazy, and I know it's all about who you play. When you look back at, at Ole Miss last week, being able to put the ball in the air, because that's what Ole Miss does. They're going to throw the football. But it's kind of surprising how much success, going back to the first segment, that Bo Nix had for Auburn against this Kentucky defense. Last year, Kentucky ranked 13th overall in scoring defense. They were top 20 in just about every defensive category. They gave up seven passing touchdowns all of last year. They've already given up seven passing touchdowns the first two games this year. What's going on?
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to put your finger on it. But right now, they're not stopping much of anything. It's a situation where Kentucky's defense hasn't forced the big play. And that's really what defense is about now in a lot of ways. You feel like you're going to give up some touchdowns with the high-powered offenses that are out there, but you've got to figure out a way to create some big plays of your own. And right now, Kentucky has not intercepted a pass. They haven't recovered a fumble, and they are allowing opponents to convert at a high rate on third down, giving up ten touchdowns through two games. This is not the defense that Kentucky expected to have.
1: Last year, Kentucky gave up 28 passing plays of 20 yards or more, and so far they've given up nine passing plays of over 20. Now, the difference in what Ole Miss did last week and what we're going to do this week is Ole Miss is more hurry up. We don't take a ton of time. We don't take as much time as we did in that check-with-me offense that we've seen over the past couple years, but we do get up there and try to run it somewhat in a hurry but not as fast as Ole Miss. But there are different styles – of the offense that we're going to have than what Ole Miss had. It's going to be interesting to see, too, when you start thinking about the, the blueprint that everyone says that Arkansas gave last week. It'll be interesting to see how much of that eight dropping in the zone we may see this week for Kentucky. Because Mark Stoops is more of a an aggressive style of defensive coordinator.
0: Yeah, you hope that's the style he plays in this ball game because you think that would ultimately help Mississippi State. But you go back right now, if you're Kentucky, you've got to figure out a way to keep the ball underneath and to quit allowing so many completions. You've got a situation where Bo Nix goes 16 of 27, and then last week Ole Miss 24 of 29 throwing the football. So if you are looking for hope for Mississippi State, if you're looking for the good news. Teams have been able to throw the football on Kentucky and have done it
1: at a, with a lot of success and for a lot of yards. Charlie, one of the things that stood out to me so far early this season in the SEC is how much success teams have had on the road. You saw Ole Miss go up to Lexington last week and win. In some of its matchups, Alabama's going to win against Missouri no matter where they play. But teams have had success on the road with – the, the stadium's not as loud. You talk about snap counts and things that really hinder you when going on the road with your offensive line. Who does it favor more this week? Kentucky had a game which they thought they should have won. They let get away from them. They lose in overtime. They miss an extra point. Mississippi State felt like they let a game get away from them this past Saturday against Arkansas. Who holds the advantage of teams trying to bounce back in this one?
0: You look at the SEC West, and other than Alabama, every team in the league is one and one, on the western half of the league at least. Right now, what that tells you, exactly what you said, teams are playing pretty well on the road. There doesn't seem to be as big of a home field advantage. And you almost wonder, you've suggested this the other day, maybe in some strange way the road team now has a little bit of an advantage. I I would say this. I would much rather go play Kentucky in that strange environment than play them on a normal Kentucky 630 kickoff, which I think is a little bit underrated as a visiting environment, by the way. It just is. Just generally. I mean, look, it's never going to be Death Valley, but I think it's underrated. That being said, I don't want to go so far as to say that it favors Mississippi State, but, hey, if we want to be honest, we played pretty well on the road. We didn't play so great at home, so maybe getting back on the road is a little bit comfortable
1: if you're looking for things to kind of look at from a positive standpoint, we seem to be a well-coached football team. I mean, last week, everybody wants to talk about mean, play calling, whatever you want to say. We had open guys. We had guys. It's all about execution. But we're not doing the dumb things. You don't see the 15-yard penalties. You're not seeing the false starts. You're not seeing a team shoot itself in the foot in special teams as far as coverage. This looks to be a well-coached football team. And I say that to say this. The last time we went to Lexington, Kentucky's going to talk a lot of trash. They're going to play hard through the whistle. We lost our composure two years ago. Kentucky is going to be probably the most physical offensive line we've faced so far. Keeping your cool is going to be big in this game.
0: I believe it was the day after that Kentucky game that we recorded our first show back in the old days, and we needed some time to – cool off after that one because that was the story of that ball game you didn't stop the run and you let them get in your head you let them get to you I don't think that's nearly as likely to happen now as it did two years ago but look two years ago the only thing you could say after that game was Mississippi State was not a disciplined football team we've looked very different through two games
1: So we'll have it at 6.30 Saturday night. We'll be on the air at 4.30 for the pregame show. And once again, thanks to our great folks at Farm Bureau. Go with a home team presenting Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. So we'll be back on Sunday. We'll hopefully be talking about a Bulldog win in our Sunday coffee session on Sunday, then back next week as the Bulldogs come back home against Texas A&M. So we appreciate you hanging out with us over the last hour. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.